one final time uh, to the book of uh, Revelation. We come today to Revelation chapter 22. Our text will be verses 10 through 17. Uh, Last week, we considered verses 6 through 9 and verses 18 through 21. And that is why, uh, even though today is the last sermon on Revelation, uh, we are ending today's preaching at verse uh, 17. We looked at the final four verses last week. Revelation chapter 22 and verses uh, 10 through 17. It was about 17 months ago that we began this study in the book of Revelation. Uh, It has been an extraordinary uh, blessing to me uh, to be able week after week to study this book, to read uh, many commentaries on it, to consider how to present this material to you. Uh, I have been greatly blessed by it. Um, I thank the Lord for this final book of Revelation uh, in uh, Holy Scripture. Now, you might ask the question uh, where we're headed next after this, and the answer is, I do not yet know. Uh, But I do have a few weeks uh, to figure it out. Uh, Next week, um, Ricardo Sosa is going to preach for us out of a different text on Lord's Day morning. I will preach for us in the evening service next week. Uh, Two weeks from today will be the week immediately after uh, Ron Heald and I are at General Assembly in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm going to swap pulpits that morning with Matthew Kerr, who's the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Concord, Massachusetts. I'll be preaching there. Matthew Kerr, who preached here two weeks or two years ago, will preach here again. I think many of you were greatly helped uh, when he brought us the word of God two years ago. And then three weeks from today, I will have been on vacation the week before. uh, Pastor Collins will be preaching uh, for us uh, that Sunday morning uh, and uh, Ricardo in the evening. And so that's the plan the next uh, three weeks. And I'll again be in the pulpit on a Lord's Day morning uh, on uh, the first Lord's Day in July. This uh, will conclude our series in Revelation. So let's now hear uh, God's word uh, together. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. 
The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This ends this reading in God's word. Let's look again to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, our God, your word is full of life for your people. We ask now, O living God, that as we hear your word proclaimed, that our hearts would be drawn to you. Lord, keep us from all distraction. Satan would desire that this seed would fall upon the path would take no root and would bear no fruit in the lives of your people. Lord, grant instead that this seed would fall in good soil and bear abundant fruit to the glory of your name. Give us ears to hear today what the Spirit says to the churches. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what is uh, the greatest invitation uh, that you have ever received. Some of you might say, well, it was from my spouse when he invited me to marry him. Others of you might uh, say, well, it was for an award that I was given, maybe an award in school that you received or an award uh, for good performance in the workplace in which you were acknowledged. It was a wonderful invitation to that award Ceremony. Others of you might say, well, the greatest invitation was when a friend of mine invited me to go with him or her on vacation uh, for a week. It was an extraordinary vacation. It was a fantastic invitation. We like invitations. Uh, Invitations show, on the one hand, that we are valued. Somebody invites us to do something. Usually invitations are to something good or something enjoyable, something blessed. All of these things might be great invitations, but the Bible gives us uh, the very greatest of all invitations ever. That's really what we find in some of these closing verses of Revelation. Verse 17 contains really an extraordinary uh, invitation to you and to me. It's an invitation to come, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, where we will receive blessing from him, the blessing that is represented by this water of life, which is to be ours without price. How important it is that Revelation ends with an invitation. It reminds us uh, that this book was never intended to be read simply as a kind of intellectual curiosity a mere puzzle to be figured out. It reminds us that the most important question that we have as we come to the end of the book of Revelation isn't, okay, so what is your millennial view? But rather, this book is a practical book that demands a very practical response, and the question is, where do you stand with Jesus Christ? That's the question. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? The Jesus who has been presented in these pages as the victorious conqueror, the only Savior, the only one who is able to eternally satisfy 
his people. Where are you with Jesus Christ? And that's where the book of Revelation brings us here at the end. And so this closing section of Revelation that we've just read together, uh, what it does is it kind of uh, sums up basic truths that we have seen throughout the book. And we're going to look at these in turn. Uh, really, five different basic truths that, have, that are summed up in some of these final verses. And then, as our sixth point in kind of building to a crescendo, having seen these five basic truths, we are going then to consider together this greatest of all invitations that is found in verse 17. So that's where we're headed. Five points that are basic truths found in these final verses, summing up what we've seen in the whole of the book of Revelation, followed by that sixth point of a gracious invitation. Well, let's see what these things are. Well, the first of the truths that we find uh, in these verses, and we're just going to do these one at a time rather than listing all the points at the beginning. They're long. You won't get them all down immediately. But the first of these points is this. It is that Revelation has a timely message that you must hear. Revelation has a timely message that you must hear. Verse 10, he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. This verse actually contrasts to a very similar verse in Daniel 12 and verse 9. And you'll remember that Daniel-like revelation was an apocalyptic book. But there at the end of Daniel, Daniel was instructed to keep his message, quote, sealed until the end. Well, Daniel was shown events, many of which were far distant from his own generation. But here in Revelation 22 and verse 10, the angel says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Why? Well, he says, for the time is near. Don't seal them up. Rather, hear them, study them, lay them up in your hearts, Practice these truths in your lives because the time is near. You are now living in the last days. Now we are to be preparing for the return of Jesus Christ. And so the book of Revelation isn't a book simply for future Christians. It's not simply a manual for those who will be alive when Jesus Christ returns. And none of us know exactly who those people are going to be. But rather, it is a manual for all people who are living between the first and second comings of Jesus Christ. It was for Christians in John's day. It was for Christians throughout the last 2,000 years. It is for us as well. It is a book that is to be published and shared and proclaimed. It is a book with an urgent message for you. So again, everything that we have spent this last month and, or year and a half studying isn't for you to simply set aside and say, well, that was nice. Don't seal up this book, 
he says. Hear it. Live by it. Day by day. Revelation has a timely message that each one of you need to hear. Secondly, second truth is this. It is that you need to repent before Christ returns. That you need to repent before Christ returns. Verse 11 is the verse here. It says there, to let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Now you might be scratching your head at this point. You say, I get the part about the righteous doing right, the holy still being holy, but what about this, let the evildoer still do evil, the filthy still be filthy? Is he encouraging the ungodly here to go on in their ungodliness? Well, it can't quite be right. Isaiah 55 Verse 7 tells the ungodly what they should do. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You are a wicked one today. You ought to repent and turn to the Lord. and Flee to Jesus Christ. So then what is this verse saying then? In verse 11, well, I think it is a kind of declaration of what is the case. And it is a warning. It's a saying, well, that the evildoers, well, they still do evil. And indeed, if they are found still doing evil when Jesus Christ returns, there is going to be no repentance left for them. Indeed, the filthy will still be filthy. And you ought not to think, well, well, I can just live however I like until Jesus returns, and I can choose. Well, right when he returns, that's when I'm going to repent and be right with the Lord. Until then, I'm going to live how I, how I like. And the Bible throughout says, no, it doesn't work that way. No, for you even now to continue to choose the path of ungodliness and to resist the Lord's calls to repentance. Set you on a path and let the Lord in His amazing mercy, mercy intervenes. Will seal your fate for all eternity. And Jesus Christ is going to come at a time that is swift and unexpected. And the Bible's teaching is, is that it will be too late to repent then. And so that is why the Bible, not just in Revelation, but in many other places as well, calls you to live in such a way now as you want Jesus to find you when he returns. Right? You think of that parable of the, of the ten virgins. And they're awaiting for the return of the of the Lord Jesus Christ, but only five of them had oil for their lamps that they might be ready. The others were not found ready when the bridegroom returned. Or you think of that other parable with the master and the, and the servant. And he left the servant in charge, but the servant didn't do the master's bidding. And the master came at a time that the servant was not 
expecting. Was there a chance for repentance for the servant at that moment? And the answer that the Bible gives is no, that there wasn't. And so the teaching of the Bible is, is to be ready now, today, for He comes at an hour that you do not expect. Might you be among those who by God's grace are in Christ the righteous and the holy who will be found doing the Master's bidding when He comes back. So that is uh, the second point that we see uh, here, that you need to repent before Christ returns. The third truth of Revelation that we find in these verses is this. It is that at His return, Christ will repay you according to what you have done. At His return, Christ will repay you according to what you have done. Verse 12, we find repeated, and this is uh, one of three times in the final chapter of Revelation, the others being Revelation, uh, or verse 7 and then verse 20. And Jesus says yet again, Behold, I am coming soon. You have his word. Jesus Christ is going to return. There is an appointment that he is keeping. He will return. And what will he do when he returns? He says it is going to be a day of judgment. He says, I will bring my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. This idea of recompense or repayment is the giving of wages. It is what is due to those who are here. And the answer is that when Jesus Christ returns, he is going to judge everyone. And the Bible teaches this in many places. He will judge everyone, quote, according to works. What are we to make of this? Well, what it means is that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, sees everything. You know, there is no deed that is done in secret. There's no thought that is completely hidden. There's no word that you utter that deceives everyone. Because it all is before His all-seeing eye. Nobody, in an ultimate sense, gets away with anything. It's not rather incredible, because in the world in which we live, it seems like a lot of people get away with a lot. There's a lot of unfairness. There's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of times that we just say, this isn't right. But there is a Lord who sees it all. And there is a final day when justice is going to be done and accounts are going to be balanced. And this is why, as Christians, we must not be too bothered by injustices in this world. Where we can, by His grace, we ought to seek to set things right. Our God is a God of justice. But, we can't set everything right in this world. 
Have you been harmed by the scheming of others? Well, the Bible says, don't avenge yourself. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. He knows. He sees. And so the Lord is one who judges all according to works. He sees it all. But this gets us sometimes a little bit troubled, doesn't it? Because we say, well, what about my works? How am I going to be judged? I'm a sinner as well. Well, verse 14 is going to get to this in just a few moments. It's going to be one of our later points when it's going to tell us that what you and I need to do is to get washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That takes away our sin. But then, having been washed by the blood of Christ, we do need to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Our repentance shouldn't be a repentance in word only. Hey, if I just say these few words and my heart's unchanged, well, I'm going to be okay with the Lord. No, the Bible says that true repentance involves a new direction in life. Not a sinless obedience, but a new direction with a desire to please uh, the Lord. The one who is saved by God's grace must have a life that is transformed by his grace as well. And what the Bible says is that when that happens in your life and mine, Christ sees our good works, however imperfectly done, and he rewards them. What an astonishing thought. Because our good works, done by the power of his Spirit and by his grace, you see, the Lord is the author of any good that we find in ourselves, but even that which the Spirit produces in our lives, the Lord is then pleased to reward. A reward of grace. And it's an extraordinary encouragement to you and me uh, in this life. It, it's saying that every last thing that you do for Jesus Christ is going to be noticed by your maker. Well, it might not be noticed here. You might not get any words of thanks or acknowledgement for the things that you seek to do for the Lord Jesus while you are here, the the little words that are of encouragement that are only heard uh, to a few, or maybe uh, the battle that's going on in your mind as you're trying to resist temptation and to live a godly life, or when you forgive somebody else for the wrong that they have done against you, or, or the time that you were able to, uh, to put down, as it were, the, uh, that, that carnal desire to complain about your circumstances and instead to give thanks for what the Lord has done. Or the time that you're guarding your heart, and it's hard, but you're guarding your heart against sexual sin. Or young people, when you're obeying your parents, when you don't want to obey your parents, but you do it for the Lord's sake. Or when you tell the truth, or when you seek to raise your children for the Lord, and nobody else sees and nobody else notices, but the Lord sees. <laughs> he sees every last thing. He takes notice. And he's going to come back. And it will be a day of wonderful reward for those that belong to Jesus Christ. These things matter, he is saying. This life matters in light of the return of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. And so there we see that third point, that at his return, 
Christ will repay you according to what you have done. Fourth, here's the point that we said we would get to. Eternal blessedness is yours if your sins are washed away by Christ. Eternal blessedness is yours if your sins are washed away by Christ. Because we still have that problem of our sin, right? Even when the Lord changes our hearts and we're new creatures, we still continue to sin. That sin makes us filthy. It makes us liable to punishment. We are guilty. Unless something can be done. And that's what we get to in verse 14 when it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. It says here that each of you have a robe. It's a robe of who you are, your heart, your character, your deeds. And you have a robe that is deeply, deeply stained by sin. And you need it cleansed. You need that that sin to be washed away. And the problem is, is that you don't have any detergent that can take away the stains on this robe. No matter how many times you do the laundry, you can't take this stain away. But the good news of the Bible from beginning to end is that there is one who can take away the stain of our sin, and there's only one. And that one is Jesus Christ and his atoning blood. It is Jesus' death on the cross alone, the blood that flowed from his pierced side, that is able to take away the stain of your sin. Why did Jesus Christ suffer on a Roman cross? Why did nails pierce his hands? Why was he mocked by onlookers? And why did he experience abandonment by his father? Why did he utter those terrible words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus die on that Roman cross? And it was for this reason alone. It was because all of the sin of all of his elect people from all ages, was laid upon him in that moment. And he suffered in our place. And the death that we deserved, he died. The cup of God's wrath that was ours to drink was drunk by him down to its very dregs on Calvary's cross. And thus, by his wounds, we are healed. By his atoning death, our robes can be washed clean. And so, dear friends, this is why when we talk about the things of eternity and death and the issues that really matter in life, why are we here? Am I going to go on living forever? 
that the really important question that we get to as we talk about these things is this question. Have I been cleansed and purified by the saving work of Jesus Christ? Because there is no other way to take away the stain of my sin but by him. And that's what verse 15 goes on to say, doesn't it? When it, or excuse me, uh, when it's verse, uh, uh, yeah, verse 15. It goes on to say, outside, that is, outside of the tree of life, of the city of God's redeemed people, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. This is kind of a sampling of various sins, and it's saying that all of those who have lives that are still marked by these sins, and these sins have not been uh, uh, wiped away by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you will spend eternity outside. That's the, that's the verdict. But, if your robe is washed, the only place where it can be washed clean. It then says, verse 14, that you have the right to the tree of life and may enter this city by the gates. What an image that is, the tree of life, right? The tree that was in that Garden of Eden that, that was the sacramental presence of God, fellowship between God and man. Entrance was barred to that tree when Adam sinned, was it not? But then God restored it. And the image of Revelation 22 is that of a tree of life that we have access to. How can you have access to fellowship with God only by having your robes washed by the blood of Christ? And how can you have entrance into the city by the gates? How can you show up at the gates of this eternal city and be given entrance in? told that this is for you. There's only one ticket that brings you in. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. It is what Christ has done. It is faith in Jesus Christ that secures everlasting life and blessedness for you. The book of Revelation clearly teaches this, as does the rest of the Bible. So that's the fourth truth that we've seen. Eternal blessedness is yours if your sins are washed away by Christ. Fifth truth, and these are kind of building up, are they not? Getting closer to the crescendo of that final invitation. The fifth truth is this. It is that Jesus Christ is supremely worthy of your adoration and trust. It is that Jesus Christ is supremely worthy of your adoration and trust. What has the book of Revelation been about? It's not chiefly been about world events, but it's about Jesus Christ. You know, that was actually one of my points in the very first sermon on the book of Revelation. I said, Revelation is about Jesus Christ. And here we're getting to our final sermon on Revelation. And I hope that you can see as we've made our way through this whole book that I was right that first time. And I say it again. Revelation is about 
the supreme worthiness and glory of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. In his conquering greatness, in his all-sufficiency, in his deity, in his ability to save, in his near return, of the fellowship that we're going to have with him. It's all about Jesus Christ. He has been described in this book as the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, the one who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's been described as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is the one who says, I make all things new. And here as we come to some of the final verses of Revelation, we have yet again some glorious statements in which Jesus Christ is presented beautifully before our eyes. The first of those is is in verse 13. And he says to us, echoing words that were said in the first chapter of Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In other words, before anything else was, Jesus was as the eternal word When uh, there is age upon age, unending age yet to come, Jesus will still be the supreme and worthy object of our adoration. He is the source of all things. He is the goal of all things. It is here for Him and for His glory. And dear friends, He is the all-beautiful, the supreme and glorious Savior in whom we can delight. He is the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega, of course, those are the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet, uh, children, and it simply is saying that from the beginning to the very end, it is all about Jesus Christ. And then verse 16 goes on even further to say, uh, uh, I am the root and the descendant of David. This is a reference to Isaiah 11 and verse 1 that messianic prophecy that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. That is, from the stump or the seeming insignificant root that remained of David's line, Jesus Christ came forth. He is the Davidic King and Messiah who fulfilled the expectations of the Old Covenant. He is great David's greater son, and as we are told elsewhere, he is at the same time David's Lord. And through this Davidic king, all of God's promises of salvation that were scattered throughout the old covenant, all rest centrally in him. He is the root and the offspring of David, the Davidic king whom the Lord has promised. But then, in addition, we are told that he is the bright morning star. This fulfills Numbers 24, 17. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And Jesus indeed is that bright morning star. The star that appears while it is still night. Heralding the breaking of the dawn and the start of a new day. And Jesus Christ indeed brings that new day the consummation of all of our hopes of eternal glory and peace, they are found in Him, centered in Him. 
can you see, brothers and sisters, that there's a lot of things in this world that you can think far too highly of, right? Sports and entertainment are some good gifts that we can enjoy, but we can think too highly of those things. Science is an extraordinary tool to study God's amazing creation, but we can think too highly of it if we think that it provides us every answer that is to be found. Money is a gift of God to do commerce with one another, engage uh, in in commerce and, and earn a living. Those are good gifts of God, but if we make money the ultimate aim and object of our lives, well, dear friends, we have gone far, far too, uh, we have gone far too far. But do you know that you have never, ever had now and you will never, ever have for eternity a thought of Jesus Christ that is more than what he deserves? The highest thoughts that you can think, direct them to Jesus. And you will find one who is supremely worthy of all of the adoration that you can bring. He is our beautiful, glorious Savior. He is everything to us. And the true Christian is one whose eyes have been opened to see the supreme worthiness and the glory of this Savior. And so that is the fifth point that Jesus indeed is that one who is supremely worthy of your adoration and trust. So five building blocks, five truths and revelation that have been summed up in these final verses. Everything that I have said today is true. It is out of God's word. And it all leads now to verse 17 and an invitation, the greatest invitation that is given to you and to me. Look with me at verse 17. We're now told the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let me pause for a moment. Uh, There is some question among commentators. Who is the Spirit and the Bride, the Holy Spirit and the Church, saying come to? Probably it is the Lord Jesus Christ. They're probably saying what John then says in verse 20 when he says, Come, Lord Jesus. That is, that the Church longs for the appearance of this one who is the bright morning star. Hearing that he will appear, we say, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, come. And then we read that, let the one who hears, it is as the good news is proclaimed, those who have ears to hear, they, they long for the same thing, and they say, come, come. It's probably what's being said, although some think that the object of this come is the same as the third one, the final one that we find in these verses. And that may be the case as well. But it is that third one now that I want to focus on, Because after, as I think, saying for the Lord Jesus to come, Lord, would you come now? John, as it were, turns his eyes into the great mass of humanity. And he issues now an invitation that is sent from none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's sent out to each and every person. And the invitation is this. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life 
without price. Charles Spurgeon says about this invitation, he says it is placed at the very end of the Bible and placed there because it is the sum and substance, the aim and object of the whole Bible. It is like the point of the arrow and all the rest of the Bible is like the shaft and the feathers on either side of it. Do you remember why the Apostle John wrote his gospel account, John's gospel? John 20, verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All of the words and actions of Jesus were recorded to the end that you might respond to it and believe in Jesus Christ. And now essentially the same thing is being done at the end of Revelation. He's saying, I revealed all of this to you. I told you about the worship that is going on in heaven. We talked about the seals that were being opened and the trumpets that were being blown and the vials of God's wrath that were being poured out. We told you about the new heavens and the new earth and the way that Christ was going to come and conquer and the way that this world is going to finally be judged by the living God. I've told you about all of this, he says, unto this end, that you might be one who comes in simple saving faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and are found in him. Dear friends, for you right now is the point that matters above everything else. Let's look at this invitation very briefly. A couple things, three things about it. First of all, notice that it's an invitation for the needy. It's an invitation for the needy. Note that there's no other conditions placed on this. It doesn't say, well, if you're rich, then you can come. If you're privileged, if you're smart, if you're successful, this is for you. No, it doesn't say that, but rather it says simply it is for the needy. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires Take the water of life. And what it's talking about is a sense of spiritual need. Do you realize that you are a sinner under the wrath and judgment of God unless he saves you? Do you realize that your life of chasing significance and meaning out of the vain and empty things of this life is coming to nothing and that you are thirsty for something more. Well, friends, if that is you, here is a promise for you. He says, let the one, whoever you are, who is thirsty, is an invitation for the needy. But it's an invitation, secondly, that is free. Did you see that as well? It's an invitation that is free. What are you to do? He doesn't say, well, to the one who is needy, pay or earn or do. But rather, he says to the one who is needy, simply come. Come. To the one who desires, simply 
Take what is offered to you, what is given to you in the gospel. Come with the empty hand of faith and receive what is so freely given. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel that what came at great cost was a cost that was borne by God himself in the giving of his son on the tree of Calvary. And he paid the cost so that it comes freely to all who believe. Will you have faith? Trust. What is that? That means simply to place your confidence in another, to say, I bring nothing. Jesus is everything. Jesus, I receive what you have done on Calvary for my salvation. Christ, I receive you. It's an invitation that is free. But the third thing is that it is an invitation to supreme blessedness. Let the one who desires take, what? The water of life without price. The water of life. It was a water that first flowed in the Garden of Eden. It was a water whose streams make glad the city of God, Psalm 46. It was a water that was flowing out of Ezekiel's temple, Ezekiel 47. It is a water which the Lord himself told that woman at the well that he gives. And it's a water that we find flowing freely in the new heavens and the new earth. What is it? It is a water that represents fellowship and life with God. It is to live what we were intended to have. It is to live the life we were intended to live and to be restored to the fellowship that we were made to have with the living God himself. And it is this very water, the greatest of all gifts, that is on offer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come, come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And so this is the question that presses upon each one of you today, dear friends. Have you come to Jesus Christ? All of these sermons on Revelation, as it were, we could even say in some sense have been wasted on you. If at the end of it all, you don't come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've missed the point entirely of everything that we've been talking about for a year and a half. It's like it just went in one ear and out another. It, it's like you haven't been paying attention. You, it, it's, it's that you have a dullness in your brain, dear friends, unless you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of it, all of it, was for this end, that you would come to know Him, who is the source of life eternal. Come to Jesus Christ and be saved. Friends, if you, my dear unconverted friend, if you have never come to Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Come to know him who is life itself. Place your faith in this all-sufficient Savior. Won't you do that? And what about you if you are one who has already come to Jesus Christ? Well, 
I think the message of Revelation for you is to keep coming day by day. We don't come, as it were, out of our unconverted state into conversion day by day. We are his children. We're secure in that. But when you come to know Jesus Christ and are a child of God, there's no greater delight that you have than to continually come again to this Savior. Every day, trusting in him, his atoning blood. Every day, believing what he says in the Bible is true, believing that he's going to be the victorious king. Every day, renewing fellowship with him, delighting in him, loving him, serving him, making it the aim of your life to know and to live for Jesus Christ more and more. That's the point of Revelation. That's what John was saying to these embattled and beleaguered Christians in the first century. Under the finger of Rome, And it seemed like they might be wiped out. He was saying them, do you see Jesus Christ lifted up? Live by faith in him. And then he's saying the same thing to you today, dear friends. Live by faith in this all-sufficient Savior. Now, until that blessed time, when he shall come again, and we shall forever be with the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this blessed book of the Bible. We do pray, O God in heaven, that our eyes would be lifted to behold this glorious Savior. We pray even today, Lord, that you would crown, as it were, the preaching of this book of Revelation with souls who might come to know this blessed and glorious and victorious Savior. Lord, our God, work in our hearts, encourage us by the vision which we've received in your holy and inerrant word. Oh, bless us, we pray.